Take that, listeners. Drop it. Duncan and both come correct. Part 1. Dead Behind the Eyes. Hey, everyone. Uh, ignore what the robot lady said. This is not Duncan and Bo come correct. <laughs> this this is Duncan and Bo come incorrect. I just and- I was one done there. So I, I, just, <laughs> I forgot that at the beginning of the show. It is a robot lady. There is a robot not, lady. Yeah. And not Jamie. And I thought you just referred to Jamie as a robot lady. And I was like, she's going to kick your ass, Bo. Uh, you know, I, it wouldn't be the first time I referred to her as such. Um... <laughs> She's used to it by now. Uh, yeah, so, um, first of all, I want to say thanks to the listeners. In fact, I haven't told you this yet, Duncan, but the last episode of the show, uh, mm-hmm. in which we discussed Westerns, and you uh, you secured your victory for the season, uh, was our most listened to episode, and I want to say oh. thanks to everyone. Thank you. Uh, as a reward, we're going to talk about crappy movies and then go off the air for a while. So, <laughs> Take that, listeners. That's what you get for downloading the show. Right, right. It's a a horrible, horrible tease. Um, But yeah, so this episode will be Duncan and Bo Come Incorrect, in which Duncan and I have chosen films that are remarkably bad. Mm. Um, And as we were discussing before the the show, and I kind of wanted to save it for for this portion of of the episode... It's not just that these are bad movies, as you said. Mm-hmm. It's that they are bad movies in a way that makes them special. Yeah. Um, and I have, you know, you said that it, it kind of takes a certain person to enjoy the movies that we're going to discuss. <laughs> and and not to spoil anything, but if you like bad movies, you should totally watch both of these movies. Um <laughs> But yeah, there's some you know, I'm I I've I've spent hours, Duncan, hours trying to figure out what makes one movie just terrible and another movie bad in a way that makes me love it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think part of that recipe is that the movies have to be earnest. Like they really have to be trying to do yeah. something good. Mm-hmm. And then they have to fail at that on every level. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, and also there's a, a certain amount of inventiveness too. Like, it, like uh, you know, there are a ton of zombie movies. Just go to Netflix and, you know, type in zombie. And you're going to see a bunch of movies that are all terrible. But they're just so similar that, it you know, it's hard to really get... It, it's hard to root for a, a crappy zombie movie... Because most of them are, are the same kind of bad. You know, yeah. just kind of shoddy and poorly written and poorly acted and yada yada. Um, these movies, Duncan, <laughs> are all of that. I mean, I, I don't I don't think there are any zombies in either of these. Uh, I mean, <laughs> maybe in Winter V. Who knows? Yeah, uh, it's, it's, there is, there's a, a sequence. I don't want to jump ahead. There is a sequence when a zombie-like creature appears from a pile of leaves. Or it could be a mummy... I'm not sure the makeup's that bad. I don't know what it's trying to be. I, yeah, I, uh, a, a mummy zombie. Yeah, it's a, someone, a mummy. Someone, yeah, someone just said. Uh, someone said not that long ago on Facebook, isn't a mummy just a zombie wrapped up in bandages? And it's kind of you know, kind of. So. 
<laughs> yeah, it, well, but except the mummy, not to put too point a, uh, fine a point on it, but a mummy uh, doesn't really try to eat you. It's more of a strangler. Yeah, well, yeah. So as as we found out from uh, from the the Universal classic, the mummy, um, they tend to tend to be quite. They're all yeah. They, they they tend to be quite brooding, have piercing eyes, and use the force to strangle you. Yeah, but even the hammer mummy was was a strangler, right? Yeah, yeah, they didn't change that, and I, I get the feeling that they didn't. They just they'd seen the <laughs> they'd seen the Universal one and went, "Oh, that's what mummies do." Instead of thinking mummies are fict- fictitious characters, we could pretty much do anything we want with them. Yeah, um, and also <laughs> not the the most threatening. I mean, the, the like the Karloff, the original Karloff mummy is, is sort of frightening because of Karloff as not Amotep, but whatever his name was in that like the mummy itself is fine but mm-hmm. his, when he's kind of walking around with the fez that's <laughs> that's way more intimidating than the mummy itself to me yeah 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 anyway all right well <laughs> and we'll save that conversation for another day duncan that's not what yeah. today is about <laughs> that's um, for our mummy our mummy episode <laughs> right oh boy finding two good mummy movies jeez Oh yeah, that's that's, that's an uphill slog. <laughs> yeah, that I don't know that that's doable. Um, and let, well, all right, uh, never mind. I was going to go into an episode of Amazing <laughs> Stories that was really good, but I don't think it counts. Uh, so, so Duncan, we record this on uh, Valentine's Day. Yes. Uh, I don't know if the rest of the world uh, engages in Valentine's Day in, in the way that uh, we do here in the states. <laughs> In Scotland, it's a it's a fairly big thing, um, and that all the shops are covered with with things to do with um, Valentine's Day. Maybe not necessarily. It's it's one of these things where, uh, without being all cynical and all the rest, uh, it is very much a consumerist holiday, um, and Scotland buys into it in a big way. So yeah, yeah. Surprisingly, the United States does too. Uh, that that does shock me. Uh, the, the country, as we established on the very first show of Duncan and Bo, uh, come correct, uh, a tribute a, a, a day for for trees and sales around that day for trees. Um, <laughs> yeah, well remembered. Uh, yeah, that uh, yeah, yeah. Valentine's Day is it, it's really big in restaurants. Of course, you know, there's mm-hmm. a, every restaurant you go to. Including fast food chains, that's the one that blows my mind. Every every now and again, you'll hit up a like a, a subway or something, and they'll have a Valentine's Day special, <laughs> and you're like, "Really? Is that like is that pulling in the clientele? Like, baby, I'm getting you a foot long tonight, and it's not what you think. <laughs> it is instead a fiberglass based sandwich. Um." Yeah, it's weird. You know, and of course, florist, geez, you know. The, oh, yeah. The, the sending roses to your significant other is, is certainly the big the big thing here. And, uh, you know, I, yeah, I, I I hesitate to to sound as cynical as do you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, it all seems a little drummed up. You know, in my mind, at least, a relationship is based on a series of moments spent over years and, and months and weeks. And and not a single day where you're like, look, I know you put up with a lot of shit. Here are some flowers. And by the way, would you like a subway foot long? Yeah. 
But uh, but yeah, so uh, we we record this on the day of Saint Valentine's, and uh, as we as we have with the previous twelve episodes, we are going to begin with a quick discussion of what we've been watching that <laughs> is either good or bad in <laughs> a notable way, and uh, and and we will leave the the movies for this episode out of that conversation for now. <laughs> Because because uh, they would certainly steal some thunder, but uh, but Duncan, what what have you been watching that's uh, got you got you fired up one way or the other? Um, to be honest, a lot of old stuff again. Um, kind of continuing on with my 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 look at the the, the kind of early Jello stuff. Um, kind of Bava and going back through Argento, even though it's not that long since I went through Argento. <laughs> Kind of went back through it again, um, but at the same time, kind of branching it about uh, a bit, and really kind of trying to kind of focus on developing a bit more of a, a specialism in horror. I think is is the main thing. I, th- I think it's always great to be well rounded, and there are certain subgenres that I really enjoy. But I kind of really want to kind of almost academically pursue a particular subgenre, not necessarily. In a way of you know coming out with some sort of degree that doesn't exist, um, or or publishing a book because I'm not very good uh, at writing or anything like that, but just to kind of really round off a particular subgenre of horror that I can say you know if someone had a question and it was within that subgenre, then I, I would like to think if they knew me they would come to me for the answer. So um, that's primarily what I've been doing. Arrow at the moment, Arrow Films and uh, Video in the UK have um, are really been releasing quite a lot of good content this year, Bo. And I, I think that's I think I bought quite a lot of it, and this is me finally getting a chance to go through it and check it out. Um, so the last couple of weeks, I've been working my way through the Vincent Price box set they released, the Six Gothic Tales, which has a lot of the Corman era stuff. So you've got uh, you know Pit and the Pendulum, Tumalagia, The Raven, that sort of thing. Oh wow! Yeah, um, yeah. So something and that's all really, on blue, right? Yeah, that's all on Blu-ray. So as as um, going back, the Raven was like a one of those films that I remember seeing when I was very young, and me and my younger brother recorded it because we had like a one of these television combi video recorder things, um, and recording that and watching it like all the time because it was just like not not understanding who Vincent Price was or not understanding you know the, the you know Karlov was or anything like that and you know just kind of watching it for the, the the kind of insane factor of that movie and then going back to it now and watching it and realizing how much fun that movie is even to an adult I think um it's quite surprising because obviously a lot of it's kind of almost kid humor in that movie but then to find that that I still enjoy it just as much for pretty much the same reasons at the grand old age of 33 is quite you know it's quite surprising but um Arrow have also started doing um their their kind of Cronenberg releases so they put out uh, Shivers at the start of the year, and they've just put out Rabid, which just arrived, so I can't wait to get into that over the weekend. That's going to be a, a pretty big thing for me me to check out. Um, out with that, not a lot, to be honest. Nothing new. Nothing new since the last time I spoke to you. I it's, disagree. It's all, um, oh, you disagree? I disagree that you have not watched anything new worth, worth <laughs> discussing. Oh, right. Um, I, I may have forgotten something. Yeah, let me, uh, not not to derail you, but I, I want to discuss 
at least briefly, Suburban Gothic. Oh, God, yes, right, sorry. Yeah, that was for my other show. Uh, and um, I did watch that, yeah. Yeah, and I haven't listened to the show yet, even though I've got it I've got it downloaded and it's ready to go. I just I haven't had the time to sit down and listen because, in a way, I almost wanted to discuss this with you before listening to that, even though oh, right, I saw yeah. your review score. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think maybe we we have a similar take on this movie but uh so you talked about it on the show i wrote a review uh which mm-hmm. you can find on legionpodcast.com and so my takeaway from that movie was that it has substantial flaws mm-hmm. yet i would kind of recommend it because it at least has an attitude and a perspective and a weirdness to it Mm-hmm. that i support yeah but oh man those effects yeah i think my, 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 my biggest the biggest things i took away from it is that i love the fact that he does kind of show a bit of love to to almost an extent some kind of early italian kind of horror like in terms of the, the 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 color usage the kind of argento bava color usage in the in the bar sequences where you've got like blues and purples coming from Nowhere which would make sense for a blue and purple light to come from, where they're standing. I love that sort of stuff. I think that's really cool. It he, he clearly has a really good visual eye. I quite liked the... I quite liked the idea of the story, and I think... Like, when you think about David Lynch, you think David Lynch, um, as a director, has a, a really fascin- fascinating way of kind of displaying the burbs, you know, like the, the suburbs in America as a as a kind of, there's something not quite right, there's a kind of seedy underbelly which you don't see from the pristine gardens and picket fences and all the rest. And I think on some level, he does as well. I think I think uh, Bates Jr. is kind of, he's not as accomplished as a Lynch, but he, those two movies are both set in kind of suburban areas. And he has put forward very quirky representations of them that are quite fascinating to me, um, that I really enjoy. There was just a whole lot of that movie which I thought, you know, you, you're following excision. You know what I mean? In, in a lot of respects, I likened it to um, checking out All Cheerleaders Die last year and thinking, Lucky McKee did The Woman. I, I don't understand why he's doing this. Um, and it kind of felt the same way with Suburban Gothic. There was things in it that I liked but I was having difficulty trying to to piece together this was the same director that did Excision, because Excision to me is one of the most phenomenal, kind of bizarre, weird horror movies in the last five years. I really do think that's a, that, that movie stuck with me when it finished. Suburban Gothic finished, and I was like, all right. And that, yeah. that's quite strange to me, and the visual effects, some of that CGI stuff... I've said it before, if you don't have the money to do it right, don't do it. Yeah, so. although I did like the dancing toenails, even <laughs> as terrible as those effects were. I, yeah. I'm, I'm glad that somebody, you know, that Richard Bates thought to include something that bizarre in a movie. Um, there is a lot of bizarre, there's a lot of things in it where I'm thinking, I mean, you... you <sighs> I constantly complain that there's too many movies doing the same effect. There's too many movies doing that. Oh, we're shutting the mirror door. And now we're opening the mirror door. When we shut it again, there's someone there. There's too many people doing that. This movie did things I've never seen before. 
Um, it might not necessarily done them in the right way. I just wish the. I mean, to me, the biggest thing that came out of that is the dad character. Ray Wise uh, is really funny uh, in it. Yeah. He is phenomenal. Uh, he's <coughs> absolutely phenomenal, and um, he's a standout performer for me in that yeah. movie. Just because he's, and that's not to take anything away from our, our main protagonist. They they're actually a lot of fun as well. Um, but every time Ray Wise is on the screen, I'm just like, you're stealing this movie with ease. You know, what I mean, there's no one really. Because he just plays, like, all the quirks, like him shuffling his chair in such a way to move towards something is a character quirk, which I don't know if he come up with it, but the fact that that's consistently done in the movie just sells that character to, you know, small things like that make a character feel three-dimensional. Um, there was plenty of characters in this movie, in Suburban Gothic, that didn't feel three-dimensional at all. And I think that on some part is, I mean, here's another one. Jeffrey Combs, phenomenal, is in it for, what, three minutes? Yeah, if that. It's it's yeah. very quick, yeah. And I don't know if that's because he couldn't afford them to have in the movie any longer. I know he was doing it on a shoestring budget, and I know he had to call in favours. That's why you've got um, John Waters makes a small appearance because they're friends. Uh, Jeffrey Combs is friends, so he's in a small appearance. But I've seen these kind of really quirky character actors and you know really interesting actors in there going, this is brilliant, and then when they're not there, I'm kind of missing the fact that they're not there. It's, it's not a bad movie. I would certainly tell people to check it. There's enough in it to like, and I did laugh at it. It's just not the movie I was hoping for, and I don't know how much of that's me with unrealistic expectations, because the guy's done excision or not, but I don't know. I kind of felt a bit let down, but still entertained, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I had the same reaction. I mean, I, you know, very quickly you realize, like, oh, this isn't going to be as good as Excision. Um, yeah. And I think it, like, I'm not crazy about the very end of the movie, which I think is a little too Frighteners-ish, uh, which oh, I yeah, covered yeah. on the same show. And <laughs> I, yeah. Frighteners I, is a better movie. Frighteners yeah, is a better movie. It is, it is. Uh, which, you know, that's good company to keep. Uh, I, I like the Frighteners quite a bit, actually, uh, despite some flaws with that one. But, um, yeah, I mean, John Waters is really funny in it. Ray Wise is really funny. Yeah, it, but it is disappointing overall because it, it's the guy who did Excision. And, it, yeah, you, you know, it's not, there's no way it was going to be as good as Excision, in my mind. No, no. But no. you can't help but, like you said, you, you the whole time you're watching it, you're like, this is, this is Richard Bates Jr. who did Excision. <laughs> and now I'm watching this very kind of light and airy, uh, you know, horror comedy, which does some interesting things and all that. And one of my biggest complaints with it is it seemed to be a very pointed criticism of sort of the small town mentality and the suburban mentality and very, very small minded thinking mm-hmm. in terms of alternative cultures and all that stuff. And then it didn't seem to really do anything with it, which yeah, was disappointing. The, 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 thing, the thing that threw me the most about it is the, there's a particular object they have to get in, in the movie in order to break a curse. And that journey to get, and the return journey to get said object, is not a challenge at all. Yeah. I mean, they basically show up at someone's house after something, which was quite funny, um, in there, they get said object, they go back, you think they're going to get stopped, they don't, and then the curses, and I'm like, what? The synopsis of the movie says, you know, things like um, they have to take on a power which is terrorising a town. It, it doesn't extend beyond a garden. <laughs> I mean, it's like... Yeah, really, yeah. 
it's it, it's really weird, and I don't know if it's because he had ambitions to do something bigger, and obviously the constraints were there that pulled him back in. And it's not a bad movie. I I don't want to I don't want to sound like I'm shitting on this movie, but the the over the overarching problem that I had or feeling that I had at the end of it was very much the same as what I had with all cheerleaders die, and that I I can't quite put together. To me, directors that have hits like. Uh, the woman, and when I say hits, I mean loose hits, like The Woman or Excision, their next project should be bigger. You know, they, they should be constantly moving upwards. They should be Jim Mickle in it, right? You know what I mean? They should be constantly yeah. moving and growing and building. And Suburban Gothic feels like a step to the side and slightly dim instead of actually moving upwards. I still think he could have made a horror comedy with a lot of those things far more interesting and far darker than what he made. And I think that's what kind of deflated me a bit. Um, it's, yeah, it's not what I thought. I mean, me and you have spoken about this before. It was one that I, I thought was going to be out towards the end of last year. And I genuinely had already saved a spot in my top ten for it. I was like, you know, this guy has got a track record of one movie that I really fucking like. The trailer is amazing. You know, this movie has potential for top ten. I don't even think it would have made my top twenty last year. Um, yeah, which, that's probably true. Mm, yeah, which is uh, which is depressing. So I'm kind of hoping it does quite well on VOD. I would say to people go and check it out because I want to see another Richard Bates Jr. movie. I really want to see what he does next, and the only way he's going to get that is if this movie is semi financially successful. So people will need to see it, um, even though they might not necessarily love it. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I you know I think it's entertaining enough. I think you'll have a good time if you watch it. But yeah, I I just want it to do well so I can see what comes out of his head next. Because yeah, for for all its problems that we've discussed, Suburban Gothic is still creative. It's it's not like most movies I see. Yeah. And oh so, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to you want to hit? Uh, um. Other than the fact that we recorded a massive four-hour podcast last week on John Carpenter. Um, so, yeah, out with the things I've already mentioned. Watched a lot of Carpenter movies. Yeah. And um, what came out of that is Carpenter's a phenomenal director, which I already knew before I started watching it. Uh, his movies again. But, yeah, and um, the highlight for me was revisiting uh, the Scream Factory Blu-ray of Assault and Precinct 13. Um, when I say revisit, it was the first time I was watching it on Blu-ray, but it's the first time I'd saw that movie in years. I mean, like, years. And I sat back down there and um, watched that movie, and that movie's pretty fucking phenomenal. It's, I mean, they're yeah. really, really, really good. For when it came out, and that's his second movie, that's his first proper studio movie, because um, he did Dark Star when he was at uni. Um the the fact that he comes out and does that as his first proper studio movie blows my fucking mind. I mean, it puts it puts a lot of movies by established directors today to shame. It's fucking phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's it's really good. Uh, speaking of action movies, one one I would like to mention uh, before we jump into our shitty films <laughs> is John Wick, mm. which I just saw last weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that movie is fucking great, man. It's a really... See, see between that and The Guest last year, see people that are worried about movies like The Expendables being the future for action movies, not superhero movies, action movies, uh, have nothing to worry about because The Guest and John Wick brought it big time. Yeah, I was... I, I went in with no expectations 
of that film. Because I'm not particularly a Keanu Reeves fan. I think his range is very limited. Um, mm-hmm. Although he seems like a perfectly nice guy. It's not a personal attack. Just saying, most of his performances seem to be of the same cloth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wasn't going into it thinking he was going to be very good. And I, yeah, I just... I. I hadn't seen a really good action movie in a while. And I loved the, like the economy of narrative in that movie yeah. is really impressive to me because it manages to create a very distinct world without bothering to explain it. But that never feels confusing. Mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. And I, I was really impressed by that. And the action sequences are mind blowingly good. Yeah. 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 I, I think I, I used the term gun-fu to describe it. <laughs> but, it, like, it, the moments where you'll see him, like, shoot somebody in the stomach to drop them, mm-hmm. then shoot some other motherfucker in the head, and then go back to the guy who shot in the stomach to double-tap him. Yeah. It, I was like, holy crap, why has this never been done in a movie before? This is so brutal and exciting and visceral and, mm-hmm. you know, it it was gory without being, you know, sort of exhibitionist about it. And, oh, man, that movie was so good. And when I heard it that... It was really good. Yeah, when I heard that they were doing a, a sequel with the same writer and directors, uh, I was like, yeah, by all means, bring it on. I... <laughs> I, I would love to see another John Wick movie because I thought it was just, it, it was crazy and over the top, but in a really surprisingly grounded way. I, I yeah. fucking love that movie. It was, it was everything that I was kind of, it was everything that I hoped that the Taken movies would have went on to do, you know, cause that first Taken movie is so visceral and so aggressive and so angry and so gray. And then the, the preceding two movies, uh, it just felt like watered down, lazy action movies. And then I saw this one. And I was like, "Oh, John Wick is basically Liam Neeson's character from Taken, but instead of like using his hands to to hammer the fuck out of people, he uses guns." Um, and I'm totally down with that. I'm totally down with that. And I I really look forward to seeing where they go with that. And I'm actually, I, I've never been the biggest Keanu Reeves fan. Like you're saying, pretty much the same as me. He's been in some movies that I've enjoyed. He's been in a lot of movies that I thought you can't emote. You can't act. You cannot emote. You're dead behind the eyes like a shark. Um, <laughs> like you know a doll's I mean? eyes, yeah. <laughs> he really is at times. You're like, give us something. Give us a smile. Give us like sadness. You know, like, I, I just get the feeling that, you know, if you've ever seen Zoolander and um, <laughs> when you watch Zoolander, Derek Zoolander, Ben Stiller's character, has all these different model faces that he can do, but they're all the same face. Every yeah. single one of them is the same face. And kind of Reeves is like that as well. He only really has one acting style um, that I've ever seen before. Obviously, you know, there have been exceptions where he does kind of push things. But we've had John Wick. Um, he's got a movie coming out later this year, which is di- directed by Eli Roth, which I'm quite interested in. But the, the biggest news for me, and I know this is slightly off topic, but fuck it, it's the end of season show. Um, the one I am most looking forward to, and I, I'm already putting this on the this could be one of the best movies of 2016 list, is The Neon Demon. I don't know if you've heard about this yet. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Nicholas Winding Rain film. Yeah, yeah. His his uh, his uh, debut into horror, although I would argue Only God Forgives is a horror movie. Um, it really fucking is. It's just 
it's more action horror, but you know, there's sequences in that that are fucking terrifying. But yeah, so so he is coming out with this movie, which one, the name's fucking amazing. Two, the poster is it's everything I want. It, it looks like an Argento poster. Um Three, he's going to be in it, but it's an ensemble cast. And four, the story of the movie sounds really interesting. I'm like, yeah, I, I, I want to see this movie. And the fact that Keanu Reeves has been assigned to that movie, he's going to star in that movie, makes me think that maybe, maybe directors are working out how to use him in, yeah. in ways that kind of suit his acting style. Whereas before, I think people just... He did The Matrix, so then he was a bankable name, then people put him in movies and it didn't always work. So I think now maybe that's changing, hopefully. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I, I think it's just like, you know, I need someone who's going to be stoic and athletic. Mm-hmm. And and you plug Keanu Reeves into that, and it works fine. Yeah. All right, Duncan. <laughs> now that we've talked about great directors and great movies and all the great things we've seen, right. kind of feels like the time ball to, to 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 lower the tone or or raise it, depending uh, on your view. <laughs> the only question I would pose to you here is that by by virtue of our standard order, mm-hmm. Winter Beast. My selection for you is the first film to discuss. <laughs> I, I, what the fuck I, do you say discuss? I don't know how you discuss this movie. Well, that's that's what I'm getting at. Do we want do we want to do Winter Beast first, or do we want to save that for last? And I think we save it. I think we save it for last. I'll say. I'll, yeah, let, let's do Blood Feast first because. I think, yeah, it's easier to talk about Blood Feast than it is to talk about Winter Beast. And that is not giving away an indication of which way my vote is going because I can't wait to talk about Winter Beast. I really can't wait. But let's let's get Blood Feast at the way first. Okay, so Blood Feast is first up and that will start uh, right now. Part two, the most useless detective on the planet. And welcome back. So <laughs> this is the first review on the, the the very first ever time we've done Duncan and Bo come in correct. Um, I think this is going to be the feature that will round out each season of the show. Yeah. Um, and I think I, I think it, this is the, the the very much the palate cleanser for the wealth, the bevy of fantastic movies that we have suggested um, from the other shows. At the moment, you've had 24 movies selected by myself and Bo, which we would say easily get recommended on the basis of they're excellent movies, you know, that you, you have to check them out. We're going to twist things slightly, um, and the whole spirit of this show is we pick two movies which are so bad, so incompetent, so awful. However, the, the conversation we're going to have is going to derive so much pleasure that, you know, this is the, the, the best way to close out this season. So my selection for you, Bo, came out of... Uh, another show that I do called Doing the Nasty, which is a video nasties only podcast. Um, it was the first time I had ever seen the movie. It was called Blood Feast from 1963. It was a directorial debut by um, Herschel Gordon Lewis. This movie is widely regarded as a movie that started the splatters genre. It came out in 1963. Um, the synopsis, an Egyptian caterer kills various women's, uh, women in suburban Miami to use their body parts to bring to life a dormant Egyptian goddess, while an inept police detective tries to track him down. Now, it says detective. It should be detectives. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah, before we're kicking at this one, this movie 
was made on a, a shoestring budget, which I'm fairly sure yours was as well, uh, your suggestion. And it shows, but I think what what shows more about watching this movie is the fact that there are certain performances that are so over the top, I mean, so completely over the top and so not in keeping. In fact, everyone in this movie is terrible. Well, let's get that out of the way. But certain performances are what make it so enjoyable to watch, right? And um, Bo, you'd said you'd heard of this movie before. It was it was notorious. It was on your list of movies which you had heard of but never seen. I suggested it to you. You finally sat down to check out Blood Feast. Please tell me what you thought of this movie. Uh, Blood Feast is... I don't think I was truly prepared <laughs> for how ridiculous the performances were. And, you know, as we discussed earlier, none of this is played for laughs. No. Which is what makes it hilarious. Mm. And the moment I knew I was kind of on board with this movie, uh, you know, the the opening of the film is... Uh, a, a woman getting uh, naked, uh, although, you know, it's the 60s, so you don't uh, see any any jubilee bits. Um, <laughs> you just, you know, like, see her strip down to her bra and panties, and then she's like, oh, time for, time for a bath in my, you know, light reading ancient weird Egyptian rituals. Because <laughs> that's the name of a book in this movie. <laughs> yeah, ancient weird Egyptian rituals. Uh, AKA the blood, the like, you know, the dummy's guide to blood feasts. <laughs> He's in a giant yellow pamphlet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you want to have a blood feast. Um, yeah. So, and then she gets murdered in her tub and almost immediately we are treated to a scene in which a woman goes to, uh, Fuad Ramses, uh, who is an Egyptian caterer. Because I I don't know about you, Duncan, but I have Egyptian catering, you know, once every couple of months. I uh, mean, there's a, like there's like seven shops that do Egyptian catering walking distance from my house, Paul. Yeah, you can't swing a dead cat around here <laughs> without hitting an Egyptian caterer. So, and and this led to my first burning question uh, <clears throat> that I was left with uh, thanks to Blood Feast, which is if. Uh, Fuad Ramses, who has this eerie power of hypnosis, apparently, when the you know the woman comes in and wants to do an Egyptian feast for her daughter's birthday, which again, why not? Why wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. Um, young girls love Egyptian <laughs> blood feasts, and she seems like she's going to get the catering anyway. <laughs> and then he whips a little hypnosis on her, I guess, to seal the deal. He, oh, his, his, his hypnosis is that he screams in her face. Yeah, right, he, but she, he, he he shouts at her. Yeah, but then she gets like the droopy eyes, and it's like, yes, I think a feast sounds good. And <laughs> and I'm like, okay, if you're if you're uh, an Egyptian catering hypnotist, yeah, as as a profession, why would you not have the most successful Egyptian catering business that ever was? Like, yeah. everyone that wanders into the shop, you whip a little hypno on them, mm-hmm. and you're, like, your book's solid through 2018. 
But yeah, and it it only happens once. Like I don't know why he doesn't use it later in the movie when he's trying. When there's the comedy of errors of like, hey, lay down on this counter so I can. Oh my god, you. that beat that bit is amazing. <laughs> All right, but not to jump too far ahead. So, so the 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 hypno catering scene was the point where I was like, "Oh, this could be pretty great." <laughs> and then he sneaks into his uh, hidey hole, you know, kitchen where he's preparing the blood feast, which is basically just a pot. Um, there, you know, a pot and a table to you know cut up people, I guess. And that room is like four times as big. As anything else in the shop. Again, it was just one of those moments of like, oh, oh, <laughs> this movie is awful. But the per- like once you cut to the detectives and the captain in particular, as played by thespian Scott H. Hall, <laughs> his deliveries, like to say that the pauses are pregnant in this film. <laughs> Like, we're talking overdue by months kind of pauses. Yeah, it makes, it, makes, it makes William Shatner sound fast. Yeah, and it's all <laughs> just, like, we've got to find this killer. We've got a pathological killer on the loose. And he's constantly <laughs> pounding the table. <laughs> and and the, the detective, Detective Pete Thornton, um, he is, like... There for these conversations, which, you know, take place in a government office of sorts, I guess, because there's a Mm -hmm. file cabinet. (laughs) But later, when you see him calling uh, Trudy, the, uh, the, no, no, not Trudy. Trudy's the one who uh, is the last, uh, who is it? Oh, Suzette. Okay, so um, when he's calling her, because, you know, they're all romantic and whatnot. And like is starting to piece together like the the fact that Fuad Ramses is, is the uh, the Egyptian responsible for <laughs> the, the Egyptian blood feast that's about to go down. Uh, that <laughs> he's using his captain's office, and it's like, why aren't you calling from your desk? Oh, right, there is absolutely no room in the budget to show any other room besides this one. The the store, the room where the blood feast is being prepared, a pool scene once, and yeah. like there are moments. Uh, so the, the basic plot is Vlad Ramses is going around and killing all these women so that he can prepare uh, a blood feast. But the blood feast doesn't seem to have anything to do with anything, mm-hmm. except that you have to do it before you make this sacrifice, which brings this goddess back to life, which is just this shitty statue he's got. Yep. And and most of the movie is sort of Fuad Ramses is creeping around. Hey, here's a 1960s era woman getting in her bra and panties. Now he's mm-hmm. killing her. Rinse and repeat. And break it up with scenes of the detective saying, we've got to stop this guy. <laughs> and, and I don't say that dismissively because it is fucking wonderful. But the, the fact that like the detective work involved is essentially him, the you know the main detective Pete Thornton, trying to figure out like what a book club could potentially have to do. Oh, yeah. Duncan, holy shit! I can't let this scene go by. So there's there's a scene in which um, a girl has been murdered, mm-hmm. and her I guess brother and mother are have been invited to the station. Oh yeah. 
And the 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 actress playing the mother, God bless her, just has it turned to eleven. <laughs> and it is just wailing like, oh, I made a dress for her prom. Now she'll never wear it. And and at that point, Detective Pete Thornton jots down a note, and I was like, What are you writing? Are you like, do you think the dress is a clue that you have some murder out there? <laughs> Killing women before they get an opportunity to wear something in like chiffon, it just I it blew my mind. I I I thought it was hysterical, but but there is something so adolescent mm-hmm. about this notion of like let's see some women get in there all together, mm-hmm. and then we're gonna have some you know murder thrown in just to, to I guess make it okay. Um, that there it's so childish and so adolescent. That it's kind of charming mm-hmm. in the way that a lot of those kind of cheesecake videos from the late 50s and early 60s are of like, you know, hubba hubba boys, look at this <laughs> bullet bra. <laughs> and the movie is chock full of that stuff that like there's one point where he's chasing down a woman who is being taken home by a drunk pirate. Oh, God. <laughs> And I was, and I was like, I don't know where they are. I don't know. Like, I guess she's at an apartment building, but I don't know. At first, I thought they were at sea for some reason, because of this. I, I, I don't know. I don't like. There, there are so many moments where it's like, I, there is no sense of place or character or motivation other than you know Fuad Ramsey is wanting to resurrect. Uh, you know, his goddess after 5,000 years, which you're going to hear about 12 times in this movie. It's, it is glorious stupidity. And, yeah. and the special effects, it like, it, it seems like they just went to a butcher shop and yeah. were like, like, Hey, can we have that liver? And what about that femur? Yeah, we'll take that. <laughs> and, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of graphic for 1963. Yeah, and the special effects aren't horrible. They're not. No, 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 no. I think there's there's some sequences that when I try and put myself into the mindset of what it would have been like watching this movie in '63, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's quite quite daring. There's a, a leg removal scene quite earlier on on in the movie, and the way it's shot is quite clever. Um, that I actually thought, you know, it doesn't look completely legitimate, but if I had never seen anything like that before, I would be a bit disturbed by it. But yeah, yeah I, yeah, I think the, the thing, the thing that's the thing that kind of sold this movie to me, and yet everything you're saying, I, I'm one hundred percent with. There's all these little gems in this movie, so evenly spaced out. Anytime the cops are on screen, I know for a fact this this scene is awful, but it's entertaining. Um, but what I love about this movie, absolutely love about this movie, is the fact that this this cop, the the main cop, not the not his not his a uh, superior, but the main cop, is completely fucking useless. I mean, he's the most. <laughs> it's terrible. He's the most useless detective on the planet. Now, not only is he dating a girl who is clearly she's still in school. She's like, she's either just started uni or something, and he's a detective. And like I said, a mother in so, his early fifties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to you need to study to be a detective. You know, that takes years, right? So there's a, a a weird age gap there that everyone else seems to be fine with that, but I'm not quite fine with. And um, but she takes him to this Egyptology seminar where this name Isha is mentioned over and over 
and over again, about 12 times. Now, he's a detective, right? And they're talking about murder, how people were sacrificed to Isha and body parts and all the rest. And he, started, he hears this for 12 times, right? And then 25 minutes later, 25 minutes later, he is at the bedside in a hospital of someone who says the name slightly differently, and he's, he, he doesn't put the names together until near the end of the movie, when all of a sudden he thinks, wait one second, this is, and he's out with the book, this is the same person. And then he drags his, his, his boss, his superior, out to Ford Ramesses' shop, and they go into the back of the shop and see the dead bodies. And then it just occurs to him at that point, wait one second, this guy's catering my, my, the love of my life's party. That's where he'll be. Why didn't he go there in the first place? Because that's, he knew he was going to be there. Yeah. And then they show up, Bo, and this is brilliant, they show up, and we need to talk about the failed, the failed, um, sacrifice scene, which is, it's comic fucking gold. Oh, yeah. But when they show up, Ramesses is running up the street. Well, where I say running, he's got a limp. Limping up the street, wielding a machete, and they get out of the car and they can see him limping up that street, and they walk into the house and send two ordinary cops. I go and chase after him, and I'm like, "He's your murderer! You're a fucking homicide detective! Go yeah. after him! Maybe, maybe go after the guy brandishing a machete on the lamb. Oh my Clearly, God. haul it ass away. Oh, yeah, God. yeah. And, and when he's on the phone with with uh, Suzette. And, and, you know, when, like, the tumblers fall into place, finally. (laughs) And you just get that, like, again, that very cheap, like, 1950s, 1960s era horror film, one-sided conversation where he's like, Egyptian book, you say? Catering an Egyptian feast, you say? Hmm. Ishtar, you say? And, like... (laughs) The audience is so far ahead of any character in this movie. You know, I mean, obviously, H.G. Lewis, uh, good director that he is, lets us know, Hitchcockian, if you will, lets us know ahead of time that, yes, this is our killer. So that, you know, much like uh, the bomb scene in Sabotage, you know, yeah. we, we have the, the sense of tension of knowing more than the characters we're watching. But, yeah, when when he goes to murder this girl... And complete oh. the sacrifice. First of all, I, I admire the fact that he brought a pillow for her neck. I think <laughs> I think that's considerate. Because he lays her he lays her out on a kitchen counter and, and doesn't bring the pillow out at first. That's not mm-hmm. the first move. It's lay down on the altar, then you're gonna raise your arms and close your eyes and you're gonna say, you know, come to me, Ishtar or whatever. And then Warren Beatty <laughs> and Dustin Hoffman show up. And <laughs> She, like, it is a comedy of errors in as much as this movie is ever going to be one. Where, like, she'll close her eyes and raise up her arms. And then he'll, like, Fuad will start to pull out the machete. And then she'll stand up and be like, this is a little silly, don't you think? (laughs) And he's like, oh, no. You know, you'll break the heart of an old man. Lay back down. Here, here's a pillow for your neck. And that's the point where it was like, oh, the pillow was like, that's the icing on the cake. That's how you're going to seal the deal. (laughs) It's like, aren't you comfortable now? And and it happens like three different times where she just pops up and he has to like hide the machete behind his back. It is fucking amazing. And oh, I was so, so howling good. at that scene. And then that, all right, so the capper of all of this <laughs> is that you chase Fuad Ramsey's 
across, a, you know, a parking lot, essentially, that's overgrown by weeds, mm-hmm. uh, into a trash truck, a garbage truck, yep. and then for no seemingly good reason, the guys running the garbage truck just kind of, you know, throw the compactor on when the police are yelling at them like, Hey, yep. stop. <laughs> and they're like, well, hit the compactor, George, let's go see what this is about. And then, you know, Fuad Ramses gets crushed by the, the garbage uh, compactor and, you know, you see his hand all bloody reaching out and then it's blood streak. And, and then the, the captain has maybe the best line of the movie, which is you just saved the taxpayers of this town, a bunch of, a bunch of worry. <laughs> Like, what the fuck kind of street justice is this? Like, yeah, he was... I mean, clearly this seemed to be your killer. But are we really closing the case now? I mean, we all we know is that this dude was running away with a machete. We seem to have all the circumstantial evidence we need. Mm-hmm. But maybe pursue it a little bit. Try to figure out maybe if there was an accomplice. Something. But, you know, these detectives are not, uh, as we've mentioned, the sharpest... Yeah, because the other one, the other one then explains how he came to the you know realization that this was our killer. So they're standing, the, 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 Ramos is dead in the back of a trash compactor, and then the other cop starts telling, and his his boss, his superior, couldn't give two tiny rats asses at all about this. Yeah. But he's like, and then I remembered this, and then I thought I'd look up the book, and then this name was similar. And, and <laughs> we're thinking, if his boss isn't interested, the only way this scene is justified is to explain it to the audience who knew about this 40 minutes ago. And yeah. just to put things in perspective, this movie isn't even 70 minutes long. Yeah, yeah, 67 minutes long. And yep. yeah, and and there's a good you know minute of explanation on the back end of this thing, <laughs> and you're like, we know, <laughs> like you're the dummy here. We've we saw the movie, and the only other thing, the only other thing I'll say before we <laughs> we, we, we we get ourselves up to to, to to move on to the next one is. The mother's reaction to all this when she finds that her daughter is, you know, has almost been sacrificed, uh, and then she finds that that basically the Egyptian feast is body parts from people is, oh, I'm going to need to serve hamburgers, hamburgers at the party now, and you're like, is is that it? Is right. that it? Is, is that you know you've got dead body parts <laughs> in your fucking oven, and the only thing you're worried about is your guests are going to have to eat hamburgers. Yeah. Your kitchen is now a crime scene. Your daughter was almost murdered by a crazy person. And you're like, oh, do I have enough buns? Because the packages <laughs> the packages come in eight, but the patties come in 12. And how... oh, oh, so fucking bad. So... And, oh, wait, wait, wait. All right. Another, another genius <laughs> moment of this. Speaking of the party. When they realize that the phone lines have been cut, and yet there is a woman who is trying to get, I think his name is Bob. Uh, her yeah. boyfriend, that even, like, minutes into, hey, your phone is not working, we still have a very clear close-up shot of her, like, Bob, are you there, Bob? And you're like, how long is this going to go on? Like, what? at what point is this woman going to give in to the, the notion that the phone is not going to work and somehow magically connect to this guy that she has been disconnected <laughs> to? Like, if you called me... And the, the the conversation abruptly ended, and I tried to call you back and and realized, hey, my phone line isn't working. You know what? 
I give up right there. I figure there is you know, the phone company's probably on this. Not this young lady. She is <laughs> damned it determined to get hold of Bob. Yeah. Oh my god. To 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 just to give you emphasis, my one of my favorite lines in the movie overall is the 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 sergeant in the police station going off what you were saying about how you can't, you know, can't find clues or whatever. And his words to use are it's uncanny, not one clue, not one shred of evidence. And while he's shouting that, he is thumping his hand, thumping his hand on the desk. Every single, it's uncanny, not one piece of, just, who speaks like that? Yeah. Oh, who has guy, ever spoke like that? The guy's going through three desks a week. I mean, he's like <laughs> pounding his way right through the, the surface. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, it like this movie is filled with absolute gems of crazy dialogue, over the top performances. The gore is ridiculously over the top in a way that is exceedingly graphic for the time, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you got you know. A, a blood feast that is in the making for 5,000 years, Duncan. 5,000 years. <laughs> what are you going to do? Serve hamburgers? Not in my movie, you're not. <laughs> it is, yeah, no, it is delightful. Again, with the caveat of if you enjoy a movie that is so well-meaning, yet so inept... Then yeah, Blood Feast is, is is fucking great. I mean, a lot of times when I watch these movies, I immediately discard them. You know, it's yeah. it, it's like, all right, I've seen it. I don't ever have to revisit this. You better believe I'm going to watch Blood Feast again. Um, it, <laughs> it's it's one of those movies that you can throw on in the background and you know do whatever it is that you do with your life uh, around the house, and then just stop and and marvel at like, oh my god. Is this old man about to put the moves on this teenager in a car when when he has clearly, clearly been uh, part of a murder investigation targeting said women? Yeah. And decides to take her out to make out a little bit. And then, oh my God, th- that whole scene. I'm like, well, I guess I'm not much of a public speaker now that I got you all to myself. I don't know what to do with you. And you're like, this is gross. You're old. Oh, so good. So good. It really is. Uh, it's a great pick. It is. It, yeah. It's. Uh, everyone should watch Blood Feast at least once. Even even if you watch it and you're like, oh, that's terrible and I'll never watch it again. It mm-hmm. kind of feels like it should be in your cinematic vocabulary if you like kind of cheap horror movies as a just as a thing. Yeah. It, it's. Oh, it's so, so good. It's so funny. <laughs> yeah, if, if for no other reason than just watching the captain. Yeah, oh yeah, lose the cops his are shit. Cops are some of the best characters ever. I think it was Andy on the other show likened them to. If you've ever watched the Fibes movies, mm-hmm. and you see the the, the the police officers in that, which are just like wonderfully comic, but they're played deliberately as the comic relief in that movie. And it's like these guys were doing it before Fibes, and I, you know. And the, 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 these guys are serious. That, that's what gets... Everyone in this movie is playing the role seriously. And it's just... It's so, so funny. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I'm glad I'm glad you... I'm glad you finally watched it. I'm glad that you, 
you you saw what I saw in this movie. Oh yeah, it's a delight. But if I may, <clears> Duncan. <throat> oh yes. Uh, I would like to present to you uh, a little film that I like to call Winter Beast. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, like, uh, like Blood Feast, cheap, sure. Crappy effects, oh, you betcha. <laughs> but I think it has a little, a little extra spice. And, uh, with your permission, uh, we'll, uh, we'll get into that. I think so. I think it needs to be done now. Part three, a stop motion Groot. All right, folks, this is officially the, uh, the last film we will be discussing for season one. And, uh... What a pick. <laughs> yeah, alright, so... Let's just... Let me start with the synopsis before we kick things over to Duncan. Um, Winter Beast, uh, written and directed by Christopher Thies, I believe is the pronunciation of his name. The synopsis is, in a wintry kind of town somewhere, accurate... <laughs> People are being killed off by possessed totem poles, and I would add, or something. Yeah, yeah, I think that's definitely, or something. Just to to briefly give you my introduction to Winter Beast, uh, because I feel like this is one of those things that, that gets passed down from generation to generation, <laughs> like a family heirloom. <laughs> There is uh, a local filmmaker who's done some uh, horror shorts, uh, a guy named David Borkard. And for a while, we would have evenings where he would bring a movie. He was a, a, a connoisseur of really terrible movies. Mm-hmm. And would bring movies for us to gather around and watch and laugh at. And a lot of times they were kind of, you know, the shot on video homemade slashers and stuff like that. And then those are all pretty entertaining and pretty funny. And then he said, look, I'm bringing this movie and it's not like the others that we've watched. (laughs) And he said, I just want, I want you to understand that this movie is kind of special. And then we watched winter beast and I would liken it to a religious experience. <laughs> in that you can't make sense of it. It does not follow the normal rules of what you and I would agree upon as reality. Mm-hmm. And at some point you have to give yourself over to it and just experience it as as, as a thing that comes to you without uh, any preconceptions and exists purely on its own, own terms. A a honey badger of a film if you will. <laughs> That does not give a shit about you, what you expect from a typical narrative of a film. Uh, or the idea that maybe one scene should connect to the next. Um, mm-hmm. with, with that introduction out of the way, uh, Duncan, now that you have been inducted into the Church of the Winter Beast, <laughs> what, holy crap, had I wished I, uh, how I wish I had been in the room with you. When you watch this movie and certain things that happen just to be able to whip my head and see your expression Mm -hmm. as this movie, not so much unfolds as explodes with nonsense. Um, Yeah. 
But but Duncan, what what was it like to to watch Winter Beast? <laughs> well, let me let me let me start off by saying that you made a bold statement on the last show, and that bold statement was that when I watched this film, you were convinced that I would want to buy you a present, right? And <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I I will just say I'm buying you a present, right? Because I. Have- <laughs> Never in all my life seen anything like this. I mean, anything. We were talking about this off air when people talk about that documentary, that famous documentary that was made, the world's worst movie, and um, which uh, or the worst movie ever, whatever it's called. And it, basically, it talks about Troll Two. I think that they got that wrong. I think Winter Beast is uh, far more terrible, yet far more endearing than Troll Two. Um, <laughs> This movie is insane. I mean, completely insane. Um, so much so that I, you know, I took to the IMDb's when you told me about it, and um, I compared the ratings on IMDb between our two movies. And the movie I suggested gets a five, which is insanely high. Which is insanely high. Winter Beast has a five point one, which it, it, I thought to myself, I was like, I've got this one in the bag. Bows dropped a ball. There's more people enjoy it, but then I forgot that it's enjoyment rating. This is not, you know, IMDb is not on, it's not looking at the academic side of a good movie, it's, it's how much you enjoyed it. And um, for that reason, I think it should be a 10. I mean, this, this is honestly, <laughs> it is the, the most nonsensical fun I've ever had watching any movie in my entire life. Um, and to try and, uh, the thing about the movie I suggested, uh, Blood Feast, is that there is a narrative there that you could follow. Um, this has no narrative. This has no narrative at all. It was apparently shot. Uh, you'd also said to me, said to me something on the lines of it was shot at different times when you know and all the rest. And I just thought you meant like a couple of months had passed. Oh no, I, I, no, no, this is decades, decades in between shooting. According to IMDb, anyway, it says that because it looks quite old. It doesn't look like a movie from '91, and that's because a lot of it was shot, you know, a couple of decades before. <laughs> Where to begin? Uh, right, well, couple of things. I, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna shout out some things that I think are amazing about this movie. Much and, like uh, the film itself, just randomly yeah, throwing shit out there. Sure, I think, I think there's no, no, no way I can't do it. So, right, let's just, let's just go out and say that this has some of the worst stop motion I've ever seen in my entire life. But it's so terrible that it's amazing. It's like absolutely amazing, but amazingly bad. The the ranger with the moustache in this, the moustache changes colour and shape, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, every time he's on the screen, it's a slightly different shade, and, you know, and sometimes it looks like it's stuck on, and other times it looks like it's real. He looks, at times, like the detective from the Dammer Files, like a young version of him. Okay. I don't know. If, yeah, that's exactly what it looked like. So as a result of that, it, we, we had, we've had a conversation before when we were talking about the Dammer Files, and that cop says something along the lines of, yeah, um, and then I started getting a lot of women, and then I got divorced, and then, you know, he goes on to talk about him being 50 and sitting in a hotel room drinking, and you had said at the time that you wanted him to go back and kind of explain what happened in that time period. I think he shot this movie. I think he was in Winter Beast Bowl. It's, That's it's, the backstory? Yeah. <laughs> he, he had lots sure. of women. He sure. starred in Winter Beast, and then he was 50, sitting by himself, drinking alone on his 50th birthday. Um, there is This movie opens with with a, with a guy eating a face. 
which isn't linked to the movie at all. <laughs> right. It, I guess in theory it's a dream, but then there's the Evil Dead 2 mask that pops yeah. out of a belly. Yeah, let's, yeah, right. Let's talk about yeah, let's talk about the skull the skull creature thing which has a spinal column attached to it coming out the guy's belly and the camera angle you can see you can see <laughs> the prosthetic plate sticking out from underneath the top of his shirt. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, you can you can see it like I, I mean and I'm thinking to myself, all he has to do is move his shirt down less than an inch and it covers that. Why isn't the guy saying, Cut, could you just move your shirt down just an inch so it can cover that? They don't give a fuck. Right? So this thing comes out um there's totem well they're they're apparently totem poles and they look more like Groot from fucking <laughs> From Guardians of the Galaxy, so Groot's walking about, and probably the best scene ever captured in cinema. I, I stop motion Groot is walking towards a woman who has taken off her top, right? And um, oh my god, this fucking scene, right? She takes her top off and she's looking at a window which is pitch black outside. Yeah. And then we cut to Groot walking along, and it's daylight. Yeah. Um, and then we switch back to her, and uh, Groot eventually manages to fucking push his hand through the window and grab her, and pulls out what I can only describe as a toddler's plasticine fucking human. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And his hand, and he just hits it off the wall, and that's cut. <laughs> She's literally just perfect. Yeah, Done. hits that's her a, off the that's wall. A wrap. With the worst sound effect, because the sound effect goes, Dum. and I was like. What did I just see there? So, well, I stopped. I rewound. <laughs> yeah. And I watched the scene again, and then I stopped, and I rewound, and I watched. And there were tears. Tears coming out my eyes. Like I could not breathe. I had to hold my sides. And then I watched it again. And it is, the, it is without a doubt, I've always been a firm advocate of that, a movie which we could have talked about, but I would never have won. PCs, I've always said, is one of the most ridiculous movies ever made. But it's like one of my favourite movies ever made. And there is a, a scene in, and there's two scenes in that movie. One, there's, there's not a million scenes in that movie, but there's two that stand out as being amazing. And one, there's a martial arts sequence for no reason at all. And that movie it doesn't make any sense. And it's it, the, guy, the guy that does martial arts attacks the woman. And it looks like he's wanting to rape her, and it's played off by the other guy saying, "Oh, that's my martial arts teacher," and he says, "I've had some bad Chinese food," right? <laughs> and that's the end of that sequence, right? Uh-huh. Another one is the infamous bastard sequence where she overacts the bastard. I thought they were the pinnacles of weird cinema, and they don't even come close to plasticine women being flung off a wall, right? I, j- I just want to stress they don't come close. There is a charm which a character brings, and this charm looks like a prosthetic cock. <laughs> yeah, when they open up the box. It's a cock. Yeah, and you're like, is there a dildo in there? And, it's, it's a fucking... Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a fucking dildo, right? And the only thing I could think of, and ever, no one looks at the weird way, is this is the reverse Rawhead Rex, right? And Rawhead Rex, they banish the beast by using a statue of a woman that has a giant vagina in her belly it's basically videodrome right it has vag stomach right and this one they defeat the beast with rubber cock right uh, you know what i mean uh, then uh, this is before i even get to the, the point that we have oh my god right <laughs> mr mr sheldon mr sheldon uh-huh is one of the creepiest characters i've ever seen david lynch must have seen no this came out the same year as, as Twin Peaks, D- David Lynch must have seen Winter Beast. 
I don't believe for one second he had not seen Winter Beast because the sequence when Mr. Sheldon lip syncing to the kind of good old time song as he walks around with that demented face is and honestly you could put that side by side with some of the Ray's what Ray Wise sequences or or fucking things in the red room. You know, all these weird clips that happen in Twin Peaks are so scarily similar, but obviously Twin Peaks does them with a bit of finesse and flair because you've got a master at work. Um, he puts a clown face on and then proceeds to dance around the room before jumping out and scaring the cop and his buddy in this weird sequence. And then his head melts. Yep. But, That's, that, that happens. And, and the thing is, those two sequences are clearly shot not at the same time because they're standing there oh my god Mr. Sheldon what are you doing and then it cuts to the sequence of Mr. Sheldon who's standing kind of almost as if he's waiting for the guy to shout you know it's like when you see those reporters doing live reports out in the street and um, they can't hear the studio speaking to them so they're kind of standing smiling at the camera right uncomfortably until someone's like right, now you can speak and then they're like oh yeah and that's kind of what it's like and he speaks and Bo, I don't know what this movie's about. Um, I will say that I am determined to own a copy of this movie now. And I think I might have found my new favourite worst movie ever. I think I think uh, <laughs> I think I sent it to you in a, a message on, on Facebook that I feel that on this show I brought a Swiss army knife to a gunfight. <laughs> uh, that's the only way I can describe it. This movie is wonderful. Uh, it's terrible. But it's wonderful. It's absolutely a tour de force of fucking nonsense. <laughs> yeah, I think if 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 Blood Feast is sort of your entertainingly casually racist uncle <laughs> at a Christmas dinner, that you're like, look, he's from the '60s, and he's yeah, I know it's it's it, a lot of weird shit's gonna come out of his mouth, but it's kind of funny. Winter Beast is the guy walking down the street, muttering to himself in response to the messages he's getting from Venusians that are being communicated through his bag of toenail clippings. <laughs> yeah, at the same time. Wearing a Nazi outfit and, and and having having public sex, right? Having public sex with a blow up gollywog doll. That is the only way I can describe this movie. That's how fucking mental it is. If you if you've been able to picture what me and Bo have just described in your head, that still doesn't come close to how insane Winter Beast is. Yeah, like the the stop motion totem pole monster. Groot. We'll just call him Groot. All right, so when when you first see Groot, and he kind of does that like Michael Jackson head shimmy, like he's about to break into dance, <laughs> and then kind of snaps his hands together, and you're like, "That's weird." And then it happens like four more times in a row, and you're like, "What is this supposed to be? Is that is he mad or is he dancing?" And then he kills the naked lady, and then. Like, he kind of shows up later in the movie, sort of. Mm-hmm. And, but that's sort of the story of this movie, is it kind of shows up later, sort of. Uh, like, with the, the creepy, uh, the lodge owner. Which, by the way, as I rewatched this, I, I had kind of forgotten how wonderful the first encounter with the park ranger 
Oh. Who, who, by the way, should not be having to deal with any of this shit. He's a park no. ranger. What? He's a Where park are the ranger. <laughs> yeah. He is a he is a park ranger. All he has to worry about is forest fires and looking, making sure that people don't feed the bears. Yeah, but instead he is he's trying to protect the citizens of this town from some weird totem pole monster, kind of. Uh, makes that, no sense. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> and, but when they first meet, and uh, our our good friend uh, Mr. Sheldon is like, "What are you doing here? I hope it's not about those permits because they're giving away a fucking used toaster." Mm-hmm. And they talk about this toaster a lot. <laughs> and then the horny ranger sidekick. Wins the fucking toaster. Like, <laughs> it's it blows my mind that someone was like, you know what, we got to pay off this toaster conversation somehow. Because we've made a lot of bones. Like, well, I didn't know I had to have a permit. We didn't get them in in time. But we're just giving away a toaster. And guess what? It's not even new. I found it in the attic. And you're like, what is going on? <laughs> like, it's, Yeah. Uh, it's wonderful. Uh, like, uh, yeah. And there's, oh my God. there's a chicken monster. <laughs> and then there's some sort of dragon thing when they go to a, what looks like a, an abandoned housing project mm-hmm. for no reason. Like, I don't know why they're there. Um, if if you really want to get deep into the... <laughs> if you want to go deep in Winter Beast, Duncan. Um, <laughs> one, speaking of, like, things happening... When they're not in the same room, like actors playing off each other that are clearly separated by time and space. Yeah. Uh, when the female park ranger is all strung up like Casadega style, <laughs> he, he like g- gropes her neck, which happens a couple of times in this movie. There's just like an effect where people dig in a wound or something. Mm-hmm. But you'll notice that the hand is a woman's hand with well-manicured nails. And then when you see him doing his creepy dance, which is a genuinely disturbing kind of scene, um, which is another thing I kind of love about the movie. It's like, it kind of accidentally gives me a, like this weird nightmare scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you see his hands then, it's all like, you know, old man liver-spotted hands. And it's like, okay, yeah. well, clearly <laughs> somebody just put on his shitty plaid jacket. <laughs> and, you know, we're pretending it's him. But then you cut to him just kind of looking at her and giving his weird skeleton man face. And uh, and then I don't know if the Winter Beast at the end, I assume it's the Winter Beast. <laughs> Who knows? Who cares? Yeah, right. It doesn't matter. I don't know if they're trying via this weird, like, force perspective to make that look giant. But it doesn't... Like, I can't tell if that's supposed to be bigger than a normal person, but I think it's supposed to be. But you never get a real frame of reference, you know? Mm -hmm. It's sort of like my buddy uh, enjoys sending me pictures of things and, and will say, like, hey here's a miniature Eiffel Tower for scale. Which, the joke being like, well, there's no way to tell how big or small that is based on an object I have no reference to. And that's sort of the last ten minutes of this movie. Yeah. uh, Where you're just like, is it supposed to be big? Or is he far away? Is he close? Why is he shooting flares so quickly? 
because it seems like that gun shouldn't fire flare so fast. And then uh, you throw a head at him or something. And I mean, the whole movie is, like I said, the scenes feel like they're totally unconnected to one another. Mm -hmm. And yet it supposedly tells a story, but yeah, (laughs) you know, it, it really is like, it's, it, you know, the, the tagline on the cover is it must be seen to be believed. Oh, that is the most apt tagline ever on a movie. Yeah, you you can't appreciate how shoddy, bizarre, incomprehensible, like the the ADR that's clearly done well after the fact, so that there's a lot of scenes where mouths just don't match what's being said. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. and and the like the love theme to Winter Beast that kind of. <laughs> Uh, you know, rocking guitar coupled with th- some synth music uh, refrain that you hear repeated a few times. I mean, I don't know what this movie doesn't have, Duncan. I, 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 I no, I don't either. I, the, the only I was, I just said it is the most apt tagline. The only other one that I can think of that I think fits the film perfectly, and I mentioned PCs before. The PCs tagline is is exactly what you think it is, and that's kind of you know that kind of sums up that movie. Uh, it must be seen to be believed. It really is the perfect tagline for this movie. It is horrendous, but just the most delightful thing to watch <laughs> um so i honestly i cannot guarantee that this weekend will finish and i won't watch it again I, i'm being a 100 genuinely serious i i cannot guarantee that i will not watch this this movie again before the weekend's out and um unless someone's planning to release it on blu-ray sometime soon and i think they totally should i will be purchasing this from america uh and and getting it shipped over because uh, this is, uh, yeah, well played. Well, uh, if this is the last movie we get to talk about in this season, I don't think this one will ever be talked by any other movie we ever pick. I don't. I don't. Yeah. I, don't I think we've peaked. I think we have now officially peaked. I think everything from now on is a downward spiral, <laughs> and I'm I'm all right with that. I'm all right with that. Yeah, it, it's tough. Like after seeing this movie, after uh, David brought it over and we watched it, as soon as it ended. I, I looked at him and I was like, I have to have a copy of that. I can't. <laughs> My life it will not be complete. And, le- and, and, and it's sort of a weird viral thing mm-hmm. where after seeing it, you want someone else to watch it. Yeah. You know, where you're just like, I want to sit like the, the right person, the right kind of person. I want to sit them down in front of a television, throw in Winter Beast, and I want to watch them. Yeah, as as the events unfold on screen, and yeah, I am, I am delighted to have been <laughs> able to suggest this movie to you, and uh, um, yeah, I I feel like uh, let's <laughs> let's hash this out. Uh, <laughs> I don't think we're going to have to hash out anything here, Paul. <laughs> maybe not. Well, maybe. Let's keep the let's keep them in suspense. Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's. Uh, in fact, if in the spirit of Winter Beast, the next segment will just be um, a series of non sequiturs about various vacations we've had. Oh no, boy! Even better. What we'll do is we'll wait. We'll wait three years and we'll record the end of the show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Christopher Thies! <laughs> Why have you not done more movies? Oh, I want to hug the man. I really want to hug the man. I'd, I'd like, 
It's not often that I want to hug men, but he he is the exception to that rule. You know what? If he said the only way he will explain this movie to me is if I sit in his lap, (laughs) I would agree. I I would happily sit in that man's lap as he just catalog nonsense after nonsense and you know oh well you know his mustache was way thinner here because symbolically that was about his coming to terms of you know (laughs) jesus christ winter beast why are you so good um all right we'll we'll be right back with our final uh our final segment of uh season one of duncan and Bo come correct part four if you're only going to watch one movie for the rest of your life. Ladies and gentlemen of our listening jury, uh, we have come to uh, the, the final moments of season one of Duncan and Bo Come Correct. Uh, as Duncan said earlier, uh, we have offered you two dozen incredible uh, movies, well worth your time. There is not a single one that I would... Uh, try to dissuade you from seeing in the Mm -hmm. list of films we've covered. Um, And the tradition continues here. Um, (laughs) I think if you enjoy a bad horror film, uh, Blood Feast and Winter Beast uh, are both worth your time. Mm -hmm. But... We're not here to talk about how good both these movies are. We're we're here to say who who has come most incorrect, who is who has come to the table with the most entertainingly awful film. And uh I, I'm not gonna I've been saying it since we we came up with the idea of doing this show. I think Winter Beast is not just the winner of this show. I think it wins movies. <laughs> I think every movie is a pale imitation of the the insanity that Winter, <laughs> Winter Beast brings. <laughs> and I think by nature of the fact that I am starting a religion built around the teachings of Winter Beast. <laughs> namely that uh, pornographic playing cards. From the oh 1950s. my god, I never, even got, I never even got into that. How did I not mention that? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think it is uh, the winner of this episode and honestly the winner of all of all things. I think if if this were the only movie that ever existed, it, it would still be worthwhile as a cinematic endeavor. Um, but but Duncan, mm-hmm. uh, what, what, <laughs> what do you think? I mean, there was nothing I wanted more than to to come out of this episode. Eight six overall in the scoring points. That's what I wanted. I wanted to to make it emphatic because every single way through this show it has been someone takes the lead, then that person evens it up, then they catch up. You know, they go one ahead, and it's it's been probably the closest fought battle in podcast history. Oh, easily, um, easily. And yeah, the bloodiest, I mean, yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, this it really has been a war of attrition all the way through each of these shows. Um, but and, and what can only be described as the best way, because I have seen movies that I, I, some of which I knew of but had never seen before, some I had never heard of before, and there has not been one point, Bo, that a movie has been recommended which doesn't, not even just doesn't hit the bill or the brief of the show, but, you know, as it's what the show's made for. And, yeah, I kind of thought Blood Feast was going to be my emphatic full stop with an 8-6 
win. I will tell you right now that I feel no personal shame. I feel absolutely no regret at all in saying that you have come most incorrect in this show. Um, if I could give you all my points, I would. If there was one film that could be locked in a time capsule and buried a way that, you know, if nuclear disaster ever happened and people from another world ever found this planet and wanted to know the history of this planet and Winter Beast that was all that was left, I would be happy with that. I think I think this movie is is so fucking wonderful. Um is and, and, and all the horrible ways it's wonderful, I think is absolutely outstanding and well played, sir. Very well played. Uh, I thank you, sir. I uh I, I don't want to downplay um, how wonderful Blood Feast is. It, it is certainly worth our uh, listeners' time if you enjoy this sort of thing. Um, I agree. I wish I could take credit for Winter Beast uh, beyond having recommended it to you. Um, and I agree. I think I, I think if a thousand years from now, <laughs> if that were representative of our culture, uh, that would that would please me to no end. Dude, uh, if we could go back and do this whole show again, this whole season, and each week you just brought Winter Beast, I'd be happy with that. <laughs> right. Winter Beast, what you got? You got any, anything that is close to as good as this. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. I, and I I think uh, the uh, the man who showed me Winter Beast for the first time, um, I'm pleased to, to share the wealth. Uh, for our listeners, if you have if you haven't seen either of these movies, obviously you should. If you're only going to watch one of them, uh, if you're only going to watch one movie for the rest of your life, quite frankly, mm-hmm. um, and then say, and, and you may not after seeing Winter Beast, you may like myself have to take a break <laughs> and say like I can't. Other movies just don't come close because they're they're trying to tell a, a distinct story. Mm-hmm. And Winter Beast doesn't give a shit about that. It is it is about the experience of one scene to the next, and and uh, a a morphing mustache that changes <laughs> like the seasons. It is it's a thing of real beauty. Um, but yeah, so uh, th- thanks to everyone who listened uh, over the course of the season, and um, it's been a, a tremendous amount of fun. We will we will be back in uh, a couple of months with season two of mm-hmm. uh, Duncan and Bo Come Correct with uh, a, a fresh round of films for one another, um, generally along a theme as uh, as we've been doing, uh, culminating in another uh, Duncan and Bo Come Incorrect, <laughs> which is going to be Winter Beast again. It's going to be my pick. Yeah, um, uh, you, you're bringing Winter Beast, and I'm bringing Winter Beast, and we're going to have to watch it twice. <laughs> That would be great. I honestly, I what we ought to do. I'll I'll have to look into the the logistics of it. But we ought to have at some point a community viewing of Winter Beast. And, oh man, that needs to that needs to be a Legion event. Um, yeah, I I think that is something that we can we can all enjoy uh, together as as a community of people who celebrate the fact that sometimes movies uh, just don't follow the rules. And uh, and there is no better example in my mind than Winter Beast of a movie that, yeah, you know, like I said, it's the Honey Badger of films. Doesn't give a shit. Doesn't care about you. Doesn't care about me. Doesn't care about anything but being its own thing. And uh, and I love it for that. So, um, Duncan, yes, 
uh, between now and uh, it'll probably, let's see, uh, we're probably going to be back in May mm-hmm. uh, for season two. So uh, between now and then, uh, plug everything you're going to do <laughs> from now <laughs> until May. Uh, yeah, well, um, podcast under the stairs. Uh, the bigger things will be that the carpenter roundtable will be out. Um, I'm lining up a whole series of guests, which will be um, which will be coming on to talk about movies, which I'm now kind of theming, kind of similar to to what we're doing on here. Now I'm, I'm trying to pick some sort of theme to tie the two movies in. The most recent one, as Bo was saying, was. Uh, was my kind of the dead or no way to make a living, um, which was, you know, the Frighteners and Suburban Gothic. I'll be working through the Video Nasties list on doing the nasty, which is over on Horophilia. Um, Midnight Horror Show will be doing what we do best, which is Anarchy Incarnate, recorded um, live every week on a Wednesday night, 7 o'clock um, Eastern Standard Time, that's 7pm, on allradiox.com. And you should be able to, hopefully, by me, we have resolved whatever issues we're having getting it to the bloody Legion site so people can actually hear those shows because the recent run has been fantastic. Just nonsense. And yeah, I have no plans to have any other podcasts in between that time, but you never say never in our business, Paul. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, yeah, I will, uh, if you if you want to check out any of the, the other stuff that I do, uh, that is non-Winter Beast related, unfortunately. <laughs> I think I think we ought to do a podcast much like that uh, Grown Ups 2 podcast where we just watch Winter Beast every week. Oh my god, yeah. And spend 30 minutes talking about another aspect of that film that's wonderful. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, LegionPodcasts.com is where you can see uh, you know the, the shows I do and many, many others. Uh, if you want to hear me in particular... Um, you can listen to Devour the Podcast or Graveshift Radio or The Shodcast, which is uh, Schadenfreude Gaming's uh, semi-annual podcast, seems like. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and uh, so you can find all that on Legion Podcast and SDFGaming.com. Um, and that's that's kind of it for me. I'm, I'm, I'm very sad to see Season 1 wrap up, mostly because I lost. Uh, <laughs> I think I think um, season two is where things get real. I think I think we've now found our niche, man, and I think we are gonna we are gonna bring it next year. I think we I think you know that, that way where the first round in a boxing match is basically you feeling out your opponent, um, try to find out you know what their tastes are, you know how you know do they favour a particular side, does their arm drop at a particular time, or, or like playing poker where you play the you know first couple of hands just to find out if the guy has a signal to show that he's bluffing. Yeah. I think season two is going to be on a completely different level, and I can't wait to get back into it. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well, and uh, we look forward to, to you joining us. Thank you, uh, thank you, thank you once again. And, uh, yeah, that's it. Uh, we, will, we will see you in May for uh, season two. We need time in a tapestry. Won't you stop and remain?